Here we go. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this Thursday. No, uh, what is the month? Wes Reimnitz, what month are we in? I think we're still in October. Yep, we're still in October. And it's the 26th. It's a Thursday. And we're here to take a look at a item that uh, you have found entitled The God You Can't Make Up. It kind of reminds us what W.H. Auden said when he was talking to his atheist friends. They asked him why he left atheism for Christianity. And he said, because I believe in Jesus because he fulfills none of my dreams. And we need to let that sink in for a moment because almost every church today, you'll be told the exact opposite, that at the very least, the message in that Christ will remove the hardships you have in life, and in some cases, the line delivered is that Jesus wants you rich in perfect health from top to bottom. Sounds pretty dreamy. What, what did Christ say in Matthew 11 and 3 John? Well, in Matthew 11, he says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And in John, third John, first chapter, beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health. So, yes, I did. So it sure sounds like Jesus is talking about a really good life here on earth. But what was he really speaking about? Relief from what? Well, he was talking about relief from the law, plus all those extra weights that the religious leaders added to it, plus freedom from sin and its cornerstone. And maybe John's words reflect a common greeting of the day of doing well, which is what the Greek term used for prosper literally means. Yes. So that even in the midst of illness or suffering or grief or uh, an accident or whatever, things can still be done well. Have you had members who've gone through some terrible situations and things worked out for them? Oh, yeah. You know, it kind of reminds me of the 23rd Psalm. Yea, though I walked to the valley of shadow of death, are with me. I mean, we, we use it at a time when people are going through their last days, but I think uh, when we look around us, we see this valley of, of, of death uh, before our eyes. Yes. Now, luckily, Auden gave a little more clarity uh, to this statement that he said that I believe in Jesus because he fulfills none of my dreams. 
what did he say specifically to help clarify that statement? Well, in every aspect, the opposite of what he would be, I'd rather made, made him up in my own image. So, you know, whatever image, and that really goes for mankind, whatever image that, that we come up with with God, it, it really is tainted by sin. And well said. In other words, you can't make up the Jesus of the Bible. He's exactly. the God you have is not a copycat. Now there was a time when historically illiterate people asserted that Jesus was an invention of the ancient church. For example, in their book, The Jesus Mysteries, authors Timothy Frecky and Peter Gandhi, what did they write? <laughs> Why should we consider the stories of Onesimus, Dionysus, Adonis, Attis, and other pagan mystery saviors as fable, yet come across essentially the same story is told in the Jewish context and believe it to be a biography of a carpenter from Bethlehem. Yes. So they don't see a difference between the Mount Olympus gods and Jesus Christ. They all do miracles, and we consider the Mount Olympus gods to be pagan. Why aren't we considering Christianity to be pagan? Well, Dr. Bruce Metzger, what does he say? He's a 20th century scholar on the subject. Well, today, no competent scholar denies the historicity of Jesus. I mean, yes. Whereas these other Olympic gods, they're all denied that they actually ever existed. They're mythical. But there is evidence that Jesus existed. And not that he so much died for the sins of the world. That comes from the Bible. But that he lived, that he taught, that he was crucified. Yes, there is evidence for that. So when people say that this carpenter from Nazareth or from Bethlehem was simply an invention of the ancient world. Well, they're not really correct. Because as Bruce Metzger says, no competent scholar today denies the historicity of Jesus. They say next it's good to remember that the inspiration to believe that Jesus never existed came from the now discredited writers, such as the controversial figure Bruno Bauer. He lived from 1809 to 1882. What did he publish? Well, he put forth a, a series of uh, widely disputed works nearly 200 years ago, arguing 
that Jesus never lived. His work was later picked up by a guy by the name of Albert Kolshoff, who followed Bauer's extreme skepticism about the historicity and historical nature of Jesus. and went so far as to claim Jesus never existed and was the founder of Christianity. Yes, and after their writings came a man named James Fraser. He wrote a book entitled The Golden Bow. What did he argue? Well, that the theory of widespread worship of dying and rising fertility gods were in various places. So, yes. So that's Christianity picked up that and said that's what was happening with their God. He died and he rose. But as always happens, when questionable theories meet a brutal gang of facts, that assertion has been thoroughly rejected by modern historical scholarship. What really puts an end to such false claims? Well, the New Testament puts an end to false claims with its narrative. You know, the Bible tells us that the people of Jesus' day didn't think much that he was the same old, same old type of false Greek or Roman canonist. Exactly. Instead, we read, he, Paul, seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. So they brought him into the Areopagus saying, we may know what this new teaching is which you are proclaiming, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears, and we want to know what these things mean. And this is from Acts chapter 17. This led someone like C.S. Lewis, who, by the way, was a literature professor at Oxford and Cambridge. What did he say? Well, I've been reading, he says, I've been reading poems, romance literature, lessons, uh, legends, and myths all his life. And I know that they are like, I know none of them are like this, or of this gospel context with two possible views. The reader yeah, either this is reportage or else some unknown writer without known predecessors or successes suddenly anticipated the whole technique of modern novelistic realistic narrative 2,000 years ahead of when it happened. And the reader who doesn't see this has simply not learned to read. That's a quotation from C.S. Lewis, because Jesus was saying something entirely new. And that newness is more than most people can bear, both back then and today. When you share this message of Jesus with others, what's the newness 
that these people can't bear to hear. Well, he's, he's Jesus with the hard edges. Uh, Jesus differed from Buddha, Confucius, Muhammad. None of the others arose, arose all signs of me and my being to cry, crucify him because of his perfect perfectness. Everybody rushed to, to, including us, say crucify him. Yes. What Auden is articulating is the same items spoken of by Aristotle, the great philosopher. Hundreds of years before Christ, Aristotle was asked, what would happen if a perfect man was introduced into society? And how did he respond? He said by saying that a man would be killed because of his beauty and goodness would painfully highlight the imperfections of everyone else. This is really the critical understanding of the Christian faith, why it is so difficult for people. Because before Jesus speaks the gospel of the forgiveness of sins, what do they have to hear from John the Baptizer? <laughs> well, John's was a it was a baptism of repentance. Repent and be baptized. Yes. And then he would say, "Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world." And we know that when John the Baptist preached his message, the unbelieving Pharisees began to hate both John the Baptist and Jesus. In fact, remember there was a question that Jesus once asked them about John the Baptist. Is he from man or is he from God? And how did they answer? Uh, well, if they answered either way, they would be caught uh, believing in God. Yeah, how so? If they answered he was from God, then Jesus would have said, then why did you not believe him? And if he answered from man, they would have been in trouble with a crowd who believed John the Baptist to be a prophet. So this is what is meant about the Jesus of the Bible. He has hard edges. His sinlessness eventually evoked explicit hatred or silent disgust with the vast majority of those around him. What did Jesus warn in Matthew 11, verse 6? Well, Matthew 11, he says, blessed is he who does not take offense at me. It kind of it reminds us that Jesus was perfect and sinless, yet he went and took John, John the Baptist, baptism, baptism of repentance. Jesus had nothing to repent of. It's at that point where he takes the sins of the world upon his shoulders. Exactly. And so... If we aren't worthy of him 
if we don't hate everyone else by comparison, he tells us <coughs> that we're headed for hell. Boy, that's Matthew 23, verse 33. So what does Scripture say in Isaiah 53, verse 3? Well, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. And that's why we say that our fallen hearts cry out for his crucifixion. Yes. Yes. This is from the Old Testament. There was nothing that made him look good to us, but the fact that he said he was sinless, the fact he said he was your savior, your redeemer, people couldn't stand that because they didn't think they needed a redeemer. Why do people not think they need a redeemer? Well, they're perfect without their faults. You know, listening to this, it kind of takes us back to the garden. When uh, Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? They, they hid from God. Yes. So what this email does is ask us, does this sound like a God that you would make up? And the answer is hardly. R.C. Sproul said, what about that? Well, no one invents a God like this because he's far too traumatizing where there is nothing in the universe more terrifying, more threatening to a person's sense of security and well-being than the holiness of God. Left to ourselves, none of us would would invent the God of the Bible, the, the being who is a threat to our sense of security and our fundamental, uh, any act of uh, nature. Yes. So what we're saying is when you take a look at the teachings of Jesus, they're really quite new. The repentance of sin and then the forgiveness of sins. And that's why W. Auden believed in Jesus. And he said he is the opposite of what his fallen dreams would conjure up. Well, what are some dreams that some congregations you may have heard tell about if you believe in Jesus? Well, yeah, there's some churches out there that, that would uh, talk about the dream of prosperity. That God yes. really wants you to make money and live, live a happy life. And that's just not possible. Because whose world is this, really? It is God's world. It kind of reminds you of the thief upon the cross, you know. Uh, he comes to faith. He didn't have any way to prosper from that point on, but yet the kingdom of heaven was open to him. Right. Why do we have to go to heaven? I ask the question, whose world is this? It's, God. No, it's not. Jesus? No. Nope. The devil? Yes. 
Remember, he was sent out of heaven, and now earth is his realm. And so what are we freed from when we die and we go to heaven? There's three things. Sin, death, and the devil. Exactly. And that's because we're living in the world of the devil. But can the devil hurt us more than God allows us to be hurt? Well, no. Uh, we're never tempted beyond our means. And, exactly. Uh, That's a promise God makes. And so we can rest assured in his promises. Now, do Christians always recognize that God's promises are being fulfilled in their lives? I would say that there are times where we don't see them fulfilled. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, how many times have you had a member come and say, what did I do to... <laughs> deserve this. Right. And yet on Sunday morning, what do they say they deserve? Nothing but eternal punishment. For and sins. temporal punishment. Temporal punishment. Yeah, what's, what's the difference between temporal and eternal punishment? Well, temporal would, would, would be upon this earth. Yes. And eternal would be for not only here on earth, but for eternity. Exactly. And so the Jesus we believe in is so contrary to what we would want on our own. He has to be real because he's the very opposite of what we think he is. We think he is like a Santa Claus. I, I, I don't find it odd that the main character at Christmas if it's not Jesus, it's Santa Claus. What are the similarities of Santa Claus with false teaching in the Christian church? Well, Santa Claus brings gifts yep. of all sorts to the person. And it's kind of muddled whether it's good or bad. The whole idea of gift giving came out of the 11th century or 17th century by some nuns, French nuns in, in France that left gifts at, at the, by St. Nicholas. Yes. And the song about Santa Claus, you already mentioned the words. He decides whether you deserve a gift if you have been what or what? Naughty or nice. Yes whether you are good or bad. Now, that's not Jesus. Jesus gives you a gift even when you are bad. Re remember the parable of the wedding feast where he invites all kinds of people and it says both good or bad. 
but one of them doesn't have a wedding garment on. Why doesn't he have a wedding garment on? Because he believed, but he didn't no. believe in the gospel. Yeah, because he doesn't believe, and therefore he's without the wedding garment. That wedding garment is given to you from God's point of view at the very moment that you come to faith. God sees on you a wedding garment. And what does that teach you about the relationship of Jesus? Jesus is the what in a wedding? He's the, he's the bridegroom, and the bride is his church. Exactly. The whole church is the bride. And although we really encourage people to attend a Lutheran church that's appropriate and send their kids to parochial school, we need to remember that you don't have to be Lutheran to be a member of the bride. You just believe and trust the promises that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and heaven is your home. That's called faith. And that's the difference between Christianity and every other religion in the world which teaches you get to their heaven, their good time, by your works. But in Christianity... By whose works do you get to heaven? By the works of Jesus Christ. And that, that's such a comfort to know that no matter what I do or say, I can't earn my way to heaven. Just believe on that gospel of, of Christ and what he's done for us. And the gift that God gives us is a gift of forgiveness. So that's something that people aren't looking for. They're looking to be prosperous and rich, and that's not Christianity. So thanks so very much for helping with this Bible study on God, and we'll look forward to talking again next week. Until then, God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check out to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132 or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.